defenders think in lists, whereas attackers think in graphs. And as long as that's true, we're letting attackers win. Hi, and welcome to Sabi Reason's Malicious Life B-Sides. I'm Ran Levy. Innovation is, naturally, a fundamental part of cybersecurity. It is what allows defenders to keep up with the ever-shifting landscape of threats and techniques employed by attackers. But not all innovation has to be necessarily technological in nature. Sometimes, even relatively small changes to the way we view and analyze existing information can be helpful in better utilizing our present technology. The MITRE Attack Flow project aims to do exactly that. It is essentially a new way to visualize, analyze, and share knowledge about sequences of adversary behavior. Visually, it's a flowchart. It shows actions such as resource hijacking and deploying containers, assets like AWS credentials or compute resources, and arrows depicting the flow of known attacks using these actions and assets. For example, say that we have analyzed an intrusion that resulted in the exfiltration of data from an organization. Our MITRE attack flowchart will look something like this. At the very top, a blue rectangle representing the asset used by the attackers to infiltrate the network, say, an exposed Kubernetes dashboard. From that blue rectangle, an arrow will point to a red rectangle representing an action, in this case, using an external remote service, such as a VPN, to infiltrate the organization's internal network. What this flowchart shows us, then, is a certain attack flow from an exposed dashboard to an external remote service. Of course, there are many such potential attack flows. For example, from accessing a Kubernetes cluster, an asset, to deploying a container in the network, which is an action. The MITRE attack flow project aims to develop a machine-readable data format for describing all of these sequences. But how can an innovative way of visualizing attack flows benefit defenders and better inform executives who need to allocate organizational resources in order to defend against such attacks? In other words, why should you consider using MITRE attack flow? These are the questions we'll try to answer in today's Malicious Life B-Side. Nate Nelson, a senior producer, spoke with Ingrid Skoog, Assistant Director of Research and Development at the Center for Threat-Informed Defense, a non-profit research and development organization dedicated to the advancement of the state-of-the-art in threat-informed defense. The Center for Threat-Informed Defense is spearheading the MITRE Attack Flow project together with leading technology companies such as Microsoft, Verizon, Citi, and CyberReason, our show's sponsor. Nate also spoke with Israel Barak, CyberReason's CISO, who was involved in the project. Enjoy the interviews. Can you give us a rundown of what MITRE attack is? Yes, and that's a very important background for what we're going to talk about. So MITRE attack is a knowledge base that is of adversary 
tactics and techniques based on real-world observations of bad stuff happening out in the wild. What motivated the project that we're going to be talking about today specifically? So this project, I like our acting director, John Baker, shared this quote from John Lambert, which said, defenders think in lists, whereas attackers think in graphs. And as long as that's true, we're letting attackers win. So attack is great, and so many people use it, but it tends to lend toward thinking of an adversary technique in a silo as one thing. And heat maps and individual techniques are important when you get started with threat-informed defense. But ultimately, adversaries use sequences of techniques to achieve their goals. So the Attack Flow project grew out of that desire to be able to show how an adversary takes step A to B to C to achieve their goals and inform our defenses better. What about our previous ways of thinking and working, uh, or maybe just visualizing attack patterns wasn't quite cutting it? Yeah. So a lot of folks, I mentioned heat maps, will take the attack framework, and it's gotten quite large over time, and you'll color code the different techniques that you have coverage about, that you have interest in. But where attack flow moves you a step further is you start to also not only see what attackers are doing in the network, but attach it to assets that they're hitting. So you have this flow that gives you a clear view of what specific actions are taking place along with your environment's landscape to have a better story of of how they're achieving their goals. And out on the blog post we had with the release of the project, There's an example of this for a Tesla exploit showing the different elements, some of the properties, and how the exploits landed in order to get to the ultimate goal of crypto jacking. Now, finally, can you just tell us what is attack flow? Attack flow is a means to, is a machine readable representation, but also able for humans like you and me to be able to look at it and understand it. Sequence of actions and assets along with properties with them, for helping defenders understand what an adversary is doing. And there are a whole lot of use cases that can be used from those to be able to get a better picture of adversary activity. And again, in the threat-informed defense world, to inform then defensive posture. And I'm going to ask you about those use cases. But first, can you just give me a sense of what this all looks like in practice? Yeah, so it's a little like uh, Legos with little connectors. And so you have actions, and actions are MITRE attack, but they could be any action schema. So Verizon's Varus, for example, could be used. Then you have the assets, so a cluster, um, a computer, different pieces that an adversary is acting upon. You have properties about insecure or descriptive elements to explain. And then very important, the causal relationship between an adversary acted on a particular asset and that lets you move through. It's just a really nice, clear picture of demonstrating what can sometimes be just difficult technical terms, especially when you're briefing up into your management 
what happened and allow folks to quickly understand, I see, here's what happened with the attack. An adversary might use all kinds of sequences of methods, you know, whatever they might do to get into a system. And attack flow essentially maps this out in a way that's clear and looks like Legos. <laughs> that is our hope. The clear and showing the picture with descriptive elements is the thing that I think is really exciting to help folks that we haven't had in the past. Okay. So then tell me how folks can use this. So we have so many use cases that we've had. We focused in the first release on a few. So defensive posture, I I mentioned of when you need to brief up to the people who make the money decisions, you can show them hey, here's where we need to invest money or resources in order to better protect ourselves. You can do lessons learned from an incident, including for some of the folks who were involved in the project, a customer to show here's what happened in your environment so they can clearly understand what happened. And also you can build realistic adversary emulation scenarios. So when you're modeling out who are we worried about taking some of those actors who are described in the attack framework and see, okay, if they were to go into my network with my assets, here's where I could be compromised and I need to shore up my controls and protections to better protect ourselves. So those are just a few. One of the really cool ones that came out after we released is from um, one of the attack engineers who said, wow, what a cool way you could document and show potential breach vectors when I'm doing threat modeling or an assessment. I love this. This is going to be really valuable for folks out in the community. How exactly would somebody looking at an attack flow diagram be able to identify exactly where their weaknesses are? Like, Does it become clear in looking at the whole picture that one particular area is like red flags, red flags? Yeah. So One of the valuable things about an attack flow is we like to focus on, um, we've done this in other projects, what you call choke points. And you think about if you play any game of like chess or getting from point A to point Z, if you can cut off the adversary, if you find in that visual description of them trying to reach their goal, a very affordable or place where you can have a defensive control that you don't have right now, but you see that if you implement, will cut off their success, that's a very valuable thing. So it does take someone with some awareness to be able to interpret the flow to say, here's a cutoff place that if we did X, Y, Z, we could stop the adversary in their tracks and that would better protect us. A flow allows both that smart defender, but also the folks who are making the money decisions and management to understand, here's the place we can make some changes to better shore ourselves up. And I'm going to throw one devil's advocate question at you here. An analogy that I'll use here is uh, red teaming. Uh, Red teaming is really exciting. You can go through a whole sort of attack flow process. A red team can come in, do all of it, get into a company, show the executive team, hey, we got in by doing this, this, and that. The company can then invest whatever resources necessary to defend against that particular attack pattern. And then maybe in real life, another uh, adversary group takes one step that 
the red team didn't. And suddenly, you know, you're perfectly defended against one kind of attack and not against others. Is there a sense in which if you identify those red flags in your attack flow model, you might even feel more secure than you are because you didn't consider a whole other way of looking at things? Sure. I mean, there's always threat informed defense, right? Makes us focus on the adversary because there are so many things out there to do. We have never ending vulnerabilities getting published in ways where we don't know what assets are in our environment. We can't keep track of them. So doing threat informed defense is our our idea that we can better take care of all those what if scenarios. It's like Dr. Strange where you're trying to do all the permutations and figuring out how to cut it off. Attack flow is just another tool in the arsenal to be able to help to do that. And I don't think that it alone, like any of our tools, can solve the problem. Red teaming, purple teaming, attack flow, they're all going to allow folks to hone in on with your resources and money where you get the biggest bang for the buck to protect. You never are 100%, nothing's ever perfect, but it's another really cool, in my opinion, tool to help to show that picture and understand where you can shore things up. And in your ideal world where attack flow starts to really help people out, um, what particular major problems in cybersecurity today could this really provide some benefit? What my goal is and, and what we see for the project, anything that MITRE has put out over the years, CVE, attack, now attack flow through the center with our members is trying to help us talk the same language. Historically, when you have people putting out threat intelligence reports, it might be lots of words, which you don't have time to read through. I compare it to like when you're looking for a recipe to cook for dinner. I don't care about the walk through the vineyard. I just want the recipe and the instructions. So from that view, attack flow is another tool for us to easily be speaking the same language. And if I'm doing a report, I can demonstrate my intel through a flow and someone else can be ingesting flows and talking through flows too. So it allows us to be looking at things the same way. And I think that's the real value is getting on the same page about what assets are getting hit, what actions are being taken and doing it, we're so visual. So having a visual component in addition to the words and the signatures and the analytics that we're already working with. Is there any final thought or call to action that you'd like to leave folks with? Yeah, I'm, I will always take an opportunity for a call to action. I would love listeners to tell us what you think. We're still maturing the representation. We're going to be working using more use cases to improve it. So if you have use cases, if you have suggestions, we want to hear how we can make it better. And we hope that we move to a place where folks can start adopting and using these. But to do so, we want to strengthen it and, and incorporate feedback to make it better. The attack surface has never been larger or more diverse, yet defenders are still forced to piece together intelligence from numerous siloed solutions that produce a flood of alerts in order to detect and end complex malicious operations. No more. 
defenders can now leverage AI-driven Sabreason XDR powered by Google Chronicle to predict, understand, and end sophisticated attacks with the only solution on the market that delivers planetary-scale protection that allows them to predict attacker behavior through a revolutionary, operation-centric detection and response approach. Cyberism and Google Cloud are dedicated to teaming with defenders to end cyber attacks from endpoints to the enterprise to everywhere. Learn more about Cyberism XDR, powered by Google Chronicle, at cyberism.com slash platform slash XDR. Ingrid just told us about some of the ways that people might be able to use AttackFlow. How do you, as a security practitioner, use or plan to use it? So it's, it's a great question. Um, it be a bit of a lengthy, a lengthy response here because I think there's a bit of a context that might be needed. So uh, to us, uh, the primary value of AttackFlow is to reduce the time to detect and respond to advanced threats. Now, uh, let's look at why it's so useful. Um, and maybe start with some context. The value of a threat detection method is in direct proportion to the value of the indicators or the evidence uh, that it's using to detect the attack. And the value of the indicator is tied to how easy it is for an adversary to change that indicator in that attack. And obviously by doing so, they evade any detection that is based on that indicator. Essentially, the harder it is for an adversary to change an indicator, the higher the value of that indicator is for threat detection. Now, prior research work, uh, primarily I think around MITRE ATT&CK and as well as others, had already classified indicators by their value. And we know that indicators like file hashes, IP addresses, and domain names are all of relatively low value because it's cheap and easy for adversaries to change them. Uh, but indicators called TTPs um, that essentially describe the core behaviors of the adversary are much harder for the adversary to change since they often require new research or new development to be done by the adversary. And so these indicators of behavior are much more valuable and enable a more robust threat detection strategy. Now, one of the more uh, prominent, I think, pieces of work done in the space of mapping these uh, threat indicator of behaviors is, of course, MITRE ATT&CK, and it's very uh, commonly used across the industry. But one of the challenges with leveraging indicators of behavior for threat detection is that when you look at the discrete behaviors done by adversaries, they can actually look a lot like legitimate user behaviors in the network. Um, think of an example, like uh, an adversary uh, behavior may be to establish initial access uh, via a remote desktop protocol connection. Right. Uh, maybe another example for an adversary discrete behavior may be to gain execution by using PowerShell. And these are all examples for indicators of behavior. But in an enterprise environment, these behaviors will more commonly be done by legitimate users than by attackers. And so they aren't going to be very effective for threat detection since they'll produce a very large number of false positive detections. So to sort of summarize this, on the one hand, we want to use indicators of behavior since it's harder for threat actors to evade detection that way. But on the other hand, we want to avoid a large number of false alarms that will lead to analyst fatigue and reduced productivity. So, so how do we do this? 
And I think this is really where attack flow or the concept behind attack flow is really getting exciting. We do this by noticing that while a single indicator of behavior like execution of PowerShell may not be indicative enough of an attack, a sequence of indicators of behavior is actually very indicative of an attack. Uh, let's maybe think of an example, right? Talked about PowerShell. So if PowerShell is executed, that doesn't really tell us much about whether this is an attack or not. But if PowerShell is executed from an Office application, that in turn, that Office document was received via email, the flow or the chain of behaviors is now very indicative of a phishing attack, right? The same logic applies to detecting later stages in an attack lifecycle. An example might be lateral movement. So if a shell process was executed on a machine, that doesn't tell us much about whether this is an attack or not. But if that process was executed by a business application, and that business application was accessed over VPN using a third-party contractor identity, the flow or the chain of behaviors is now very indicative of a potential supply chain attack coming from a trusted third party. In other words, when we talk about how we use it or how useful it is for us, if we want to leverage MITRE attack for threat detection using behavior indicators, the chain of behaviors or techniques is a lot more indicative than the individual or discrete behavior. And this is exactly where the attack flow framework comes in. It helps us understand what are those flows of behaviors that our threat detection program really should be able to effectively hunt for. So we can both enjoy the benefits of robust behavior detection and at the same time, a high signal to noise ratio or a low rate of false, false alarms. And being able to understand the context and correlations across these sequences, right, by chaining together these otherwise uh, maybe the separate indicators of behaviors, that really allows us as defenders to surface these complex attacks earlier in the attack sequence and creates the opportunity to respond faster as threats are emerging. And I think this can really mean the next step in enabling threat detection teams to leverage MITRE attack. So a bit of a lengthy a lengthy response, but I believe that's really how, how useful attack flow is going to be for us. And if this is just my misunderstanding, let me know. But at first glance, this attack flow tool it's a visualization tool. So, you know, all of what you're saying about a sequence of attacks makes sense to me, but why is it that a visualization tool would add anything in particular that you don't already have? Mm, that's, that's a great question. So a visualization is one manifestation of the data that is behind the scenes. What it visualizes is essentially a corpus of knowledge of how patterns of behaviors or chains of behaviors, how indicative they are for certain types of attacks, right? And what type of chains of behaviors, for example, are indicative of certain threat groups and threat actors. And the visualization allows us to see and consume that data. But in actuality, we can bring that data not only into the visualization, we can bring it into our threat detection system. We can bring it into our threat intelligence system. We can bring it into a lot of different components in our security stack, like security validation, adversary emulation. It's the data behind that visualization that actually carries all that value right? that tells us 
what are those chains that we need to be looking for and really make sure that our systems are effectively able to detect those patterns of behavior? What is the language that we need to use to describe chains of behaviors? So I think the data, the structure, the format, the taxonomy behind that visualization carries a lot of the value in this project. And the visualization really allows us to see it, but it's the data and the taxonomy behind it, right? The corpus of knowledge behind it that are really valuable. Israel, what is operation-centric security and how does attack flow fit in with this philosophy? So operation-centric security is, is a concept that we've been driving towards at Cyberizen, where the idea is that in order to really enable defenders to reduce their time to detection, time to investigate, but most importantly, time to respond. When a threat detection capability communicates with a defender, it needs to communicate the full story of the detected attack as opposed to one discrete aspect of it. In the past, and I think you're still seeing it today, there are a lot of different technologies that take an alert-centric approach. That means that an alert that they produce, they call out a particular um, endpoint or a particular process, and they would say, this was bad. But they leave it to the human analyst to understand what is the broader story behind this. And the approach that we're taking is at CyberReason is really that operation-centric approach. So when we communicate a detection, the goal is really to communicate the full attack story. What was the timeline of the attack? What is the scope of the attack? What has the attacker been able to access so far? What is the root cause of the attack? How did it all start? What is the impact of the attack and the risk that you're currently, currently seeing in the environment? And most importantly, looking at that scope of the attack, what are the actions that are needed to actually remove the adversary from the environment across everything that they've done from the moment they set foot in it until now? And so that operation-centric approach is the name is actually derived from the understanding that an attack is not one discrete step. It is a series of steps, right? a flow that follows an operational rationale Right? An attacker is trying to achieve a certain outcome, certain impact, and they follow a certain procedure in order to get to that impact. By automatically determining what is that flow that the attacker was able to, to go through, communicating all that within a single concise message, we refer to it in CyberReason as a MALAP, short for malicious operation, to a defender, we enable that defender to understand faster what the nature of the risk is, what the scope of the issue is, and what are the actions that are needed to mitigate it, and by that reduce their time to response and reduce the risk to seeing an impact in the organization. And one of the things that made it, you know, our participation, I think, in the attack flow research as so much fun and so natural is that natural alignment between that operation-centric approach or the MALAP approach that CyberReason has taken and the approach that the attack flow research take, which I think really aligns extremely well with each other, right? The same rationale of an attack is a flow and we need to be able to detect that flow, communicate that flow to enable defenders to really reduce their time to respond to what the attacker is doing. Let me throw a potential devil's advocate question at you. Mm. If I am 
on an executive team, let's say, and I'm trying to solve my organization's security problems, you know, it would seem to me an easier task to solve one thing than an operation's worth of things, than a flow's worth of potential decisions that an attacker could make. So I realized that it would be simplifying things to go back to thinking of attacks as just one localized, you know, somebody used PowerShell. But how can business owners, executives, the ones making the decisions, uh, use attack flow to protect their businesses when, you know, I've looked at one of these visualizations, it's pretty long and complex. I think we can maybe draw an analogy between responding to an attack and maybe responding to a medical situation, right? Now, think of a person walking into a doctor's office. Now, the job of that doctor is to manage risk. I would say very, very similar to the job of a security officer, right? They just manage different types of risks. Now, that person walks into the doctor's office and they say, um, doctor, I, I'm running a fever. Now, if the doctor were to use the alert-centric approach, what they're looking at is an alert that says, I have a fever. Maybe a way to resolve that alert, if you're taking that alert-centric approach, is take some um, take uh, Advil, right? And let me know if anything changes. Obviously, when you think about actual risk mitigation in the medical world, there will likely not be a very good approach, right? A better approach would be, let's understand what is going on here. What is the root cause? What are the likely root causes for the fever that we're seeing, right? What other symptoms are we seeing with the patient, i.e., what might be the scope of the problem that we're looking at here? And what other forms of impact have there been on this patient's body in addition to just this patient's running a high fever? Based on the understanding of these things, right, the scope of what is happening, we can now advise a risk mitigation strategy, right, or the right treatment. Now, when you think about it, may be a longer process than just prescribing Tylenol, right? But it actually manages the risk as opposed to playing whack-a-mole with a virus, right, or with otherwise another form of infection. And the same goes for managing business risk. And it doesn't only apply to cyber risk, right? It applies to every form of risk. If you apply a symptomatic measure to try to manage risk, you'll be playing whack-a-mole with that risk, very likely encountering an actual impact on the organization. But if you can reduce the time and increase the efficiency of a process to determine the full scope of the problem, the root cause, the scope, and the impact on your organization, and apply the right mitigation protocols, then you're very likely to become very good at managing enterprise risk. If this attack flow project succeeds, how do you think it'll shape the cybersecurity space? What major problems will it solve or who will benefit? So I think there are a couple of outcomes that if really adopt attack flow, and, and we really hope the research is, is going to you know, gain the momentum with the community and really get to a point where we're able to spread the word and really make sure that it's impactful. But I think if we start adopting the products of this research on a wider scale, there are a couple of things that are going to happen. Number one, I think we're going to get a lot better in security operations, productivity, and efficiency, because we're going to be finding threats a lot earlier 
in their life cycle, and we're going to be dramatically reducing the amount of wasted effort that security operations teams have today on chasing false alarms. But that's just one thing. The second thing that I think is going to happen is we're going to get a lot better in mitigating risk and resolving right threats or mitigating those threats. The reason is, and I think that's a super interesting aspect of attack flow, is that once you map out these attack flows, you realize that it's actually enough to detect the first maybe three, four stages of a flow, and that allows you to kind of predict what's going to happen next. So think about a ransomware attack, right? A ransomware attack usually starts with some form of access, initial access into the organization, some sort of uh, privilege escalation, then some sort of network discovery, and maybe some lateral movement spreading in the network, etc. You may not need to see the actual ransomware impact. It's, it may only be enough to see the first couple of stages to predict or anticipate that what you're looking at here is actually going to end up the end game here is going to be a ransomware attack. What that means is it allows you to implement measures that I often refer to as defend forward measures. That means that you can take response actions, not just to mitigate what had already happened, but also to mitigate the risk of the next steps that haven't yet happened in that attack, the attacker haven't yet gotten to. Right? So I think what we're going to be seeing is if we see wide adoption of this project, we're not only going to be um, getting a lot better in detecting threats earlier, in their life cycle in reducing the time to response to what those attackers did in those initial steps in the attack, we would actually be getting a lot more proactive in mitigating the steps that they would have taken and negating them of assets that they may have and they would have used later in the attack's life cycle if we had given them the opportunity. Lastly, Israel, is there anything that you feel like we've missed or any final thought you'd like to leave with listeners? I think uh, to me, the uh, the attack flow project is one of those moments that are super exciting because it really feels like we're creating something new here for the benefit of the community that is a natural extension of the MITRE attack framework and can really bring it to its next level of, of evolution. So for me, it's uh, an exciting moment to be part of this research, and I'm very much looking forward to the community involvement and contribution to it. Oh my god. Oh my god. CK music, music, music.